This is episode 217 of IDRA Class Notes. In terms of being able to have confidence going into this work, it is very hard to work against a, a really big system of a legislator that can be very confusing and daunting. And some of the most important pieces of advice is to really believe in myself and, and make sure that I'm already knowing that I am the expert and walking into these rooms, I shouldn't back down from any challenge. And, and that's something I pass that along to anyone. Hello, welcome to episode four, the final episode of our special series featuring reflections from the inaugural cohort of IDRA Education Policy Fellows. During this podcast series, you have heard, and during this final episode, you will hear from our amazing fellows, Dr. Altheria Caldera, Christina Quintanilla Munoz, Araceli Garcia, and Thomas Marshall. Please check out their bios and the work that they did during the fellowship using the link in this podcast. The fellows will share their reflections about their nine-month fellowship experience, including what they learned about state-level education policymaking in Texas, what it's like to be an advocate of color fighting for students of color in the state, the good, bad, and ugly of the 87th Texas Legislative Session. And in this episode, their thoughts on the future of advocacy, advice that they've learned, and their personal plans post-fellowship. My name is Morgan Craven. I'm the National Director of Policy Advocacy and Community Engagement at IDRA, and I'm so excited to host this podcast series for the last time. Welcome, fellows. Are we ready to start the episode? Yes, we're ready. Yes. Awesome. Thomas, let's start with you. I would love to know what stands out to you as a significant piece of advice that you got about your advocacy work and what advice would you share with other students, advocates, scholars, community members, industry experts who are interested in doing policy advocacy work? Oh my goodness, this question. The amount of things that I can think of and really, really impactful pieces of advice I can think of. There's so many, there's so many. I'll start off with first one is Morgan, I heard you say this for the first time, is that everyone is a policymaker. And I was like, that's so profound. And I thought that was the coolest thing that I ever heard because it's it's really true. It's, it's something that is the truth. And anyone who is upset or wants to change something within their community or um, within anything, whether that's like a stop sign or like a road sign, anything like that, you are a policymaker. You are able to be involved in this work. I have learned and received a lot of pieces of advice that have helped me grow personally and professionally. In terms of being able to have confidence going into this work, it is very hard to work against a a really big system of a legislator that can be very confusing and daunting, as we've talked in previous episodes. And some of the most important pieces of advice is to really believe in myself and, and make sure that I'm already knowing that I am the expert and walking into these rooms, I shouldn't back down from any challenge. And and that's something I pass that along to anyone who is interested in in getting in this space. And it's really important to have a, a really great group of people to help guide you along the process. That's why I think organizations like IDRA is so important. That's why I think other grassroots, different places are so important because 
they are really building the people power to help sustain this and knowing that once you head out of a, a legislative room or once you finish a testimony, you have a group of people to help support you afterward. You have people hyping you up afterward, knowing that, hey, like you did this and that's really important. And so having a good group of people to help pour into you, to help with that confidence, I think is some of the best piece of advice that I can give. I love it. Thank you so much. Altherio, what about you? I'm not sure who told us this early on during our learning session, but someone said, that people in the policy and advocacy world respect knowledge and that we should strive to be the most knowledgeable person in the room on that subject. So it's similar to what Thomas was saying about being an expert. And I remember writing that down and thinking, okay, whenever I am called to testify I am going to read every single thing that I can find to give me the background knowledge that I need to be the advocate, a really good advocate that people can respect and listen to. And I think being a part of IDRA kind of gave me some street cred anyway, because people look to IDRA to be a source of knowledge. And so that was one of the things I took with me all the time. I spent significant time reading and learning about these issues so that when the moment came, I would stand a chance of being the most knowledgeable person in the room. And I was always looking for angles that someone else had not thought of or a perspective that had not been included. So I think that was one of the best pieces of advice to be a person who holds lots of knowledge in a given area. And a piece of advice that I will pass on to others who may be getting into policy and advocacy work is that kind of contradicts the first thing I said, but not really. Your experiences matter. Your lived experiences are valid sources of knowledge. So you might not have all the textbook learning and you might not have done all the research on an issue, but never underestimate the value of your lived experiences because those experiences sometimes can be more moving and more inspirational than all the stuff that we get from the textbook. In that sense that everyone can be an advocate, right? Excuse my dogs, you just heard barking. They heard something and ran out of the door. But yeah, in that sense, it opens up everyone to being able to be an advocate. If you have lived experiences that are being shaped by these policies, they matter and never, never devalue those experiences for the sake of other forms of knowledge. So well said. Thank you. Araceli, what about you? What's good advice you got? And what are you passing on to others? Oh, good advice that I got that I didn't believe at the time. And I don't think that I should say which legislator that we met with who said this. But he told us that he loved being in meetings when he met with the fellows and with um, you, Morgan. That he loved being in meetings with such smart people because we often knew more than he did about the laws that he was meant to enact. And I didn't believe it at the time. I did not want to believe it, perhaps. But now I fully believe that. And I think the point of him saying that was for us to lean into the power that we hold as scholars, as scholars of color, in our lived experiences, similar to what everyone has said, 
that we really are being able to pair those things and understand how the legislature works, understand how our lived experiences play into that, are kept out of that. And I think that those are the things that I wish that I had believed that about myself sooner. Um, I think I went into a lot of meetings where people called me an expert on bilingual education, and I said, I am no such thing. But then toward the end of the fellowship, I really knew the answers to a lot of these questions. And if I didn't, I knew where people could get those answers. And so it's been really amazing to be able to learn that. And advice that I would share with community members, students, scholars, I am one of those people who said like, oh, what does my little phone call or what does my little email actually do for these legislators? And I think that through this process, I've seen that just like anything, it does add up their strength in numbers that there's many ways to get involved with advocacy. And like, I've been able to get involved in them at the legislature. But I think the things that I'm most proud of about this fellowship is that now I can explain to my mom and my dad what the Texas legislature does. (laughs) And they care because I'm doing it. And so that's a way to reach people, right? Because normally my mom used to say when we were younger that if it didn't happen at HEB, which is the grocery store, or at our school or at her job, then she didn't know about it because there was simply not enough time. So if you want to reach someone, you better find them at the HEB, at their kids' school, or at their jobs. And what she was really teaching me at the time was a lesson about meeting people where they're at. She doesn't use the activist language, but that's what she's talking about. She's talking about meeting people where they're at. And that's the advice that I share with community members and like other people who are interested in joining the advocacy space or getting others interested in joining the advocacy space. Find people where they are and figure out how you can make it relevant to them so that they are excited to engage in that looking at policy. But like locally, how can we get involved with that? Because though the legislature only gathers once every two years, We have a lot of power outside of what the state forces school districts to do. School districts have a lot of power to make decisions for themselves, too. So we have a lot that we can do. Um, Being pushy parents, being pushy community members and pushy students, uh, we can get a lot done. I love it. I mean, (laughs) brilliant advice. Because I think you hear a lot where people are like, meet people where they are. But then they'll do something that is completely different from that meet people where they are, meet people where they are. But it's just like a slight twist to what you already wanted to do anyway. But like naming those exact places, literally where people are, it it just like, it honestly like shifted my thinking about some of the work that we need to do. Love it. Christina. I told you that that her mom has been mothering to us all. (laughs) I mean, brilliant. Love that lady. (laughs) She's also a fellow. I don't know why she's not on this call. (laughs) So I think one of the best pieces of advice I actually got from someone on the IDRA family, Dr. Bricio Vasquez. So he's the demographer and data scientist here at IDRA, but he's also a mentor and has been for almost a year for me. He simply said, own it. And to me, that meant we all have our brand and flavor of advocacy and it's unique and it's critical. And I know Thomas mentioned in a prior episode that there's a role for everyone in this work and it's pivotal. It's critical to the work that we do. And however that looks, your expertise, your knowledge, your lived experiences, they're relevant, they're critical, they're necessary for the work that we're doing. 
And so I guess my follow-up to the advice that I could share with those who are interested in getting into this work is that you know more than you think. (laughs) As someone who would say I was a complete amateur walking into this fellowship and who went through informal, formal training throughout the fellowship to prepare me to be an advocate for our Texas communities, you know way more than you think. And our community members hold the solutions for the issues that we face. And they are the ones who are and will create the change. And so I encourage anyone who is even remotely interested in advocating or being a resource or serving as someone who can just be a point of connection or contact, do it. It's necessary. And your experiences are really valued in the space. I love that so much. Thank you. Araceli, what gives you hope and how do you reimagine schools and education policy making? And I'm combining two different things here because I think they're related, thinking about the future. And I'll just note, for me personally, sometimes, as Thomas pointed out, I feel very motivated by anger and hurt. And I think that is valid and true. But I think when you think about those as motivators, you also have to acknowledge when you work in education that you are motivated by hope and a belief for young people and what they will do in this world and a desire to to make things better for them. So I'm really excited for them and with them, I will say. I'm really excited to hear you all's, all of your answers to this question. Just like what does hope and what does imagination look like in this space? I'll point to a specific scenario that I think many of the fellows were on the call When we were in the battle against HB 3979, the anti-truth classroom censorship bill, students from, I believe it was Fort Bend County, high school students from Fort Bend County, organized their own phone bank to get on the phone with all the legislators. It was primarily other students who were on the call, but they were gracious (laughs) to share it with us and other advocacy networks, and we were able to sign up and do it. And in their explanation, like, first of all, that in itself gave me hope. I'm like, these students are doing way more than I ever was as a high school student. And then as we're participating in the brief sort of overview and introduction of the phone banking, they added in and took the time to acknowledge folks in the room who had social anxiety and how they could go about participating in advocacy like phone banking, where that might be something that's very triggering for people with social anxiety, talking to strangers, things like that. They made sure to give tips for people who felt social anxiety to make sure that they were also able to participate and that the advocacy was accessible for them too. Like not only are they engaged in activism, but they're engaged in activism in such a thoughtful, intentional way that honors the sort of intersections that they're bringing into the room. They're just so beyond anything. And and there's only a few years separating us really. And just to see students, like when I came back from California, I would see where when I first went, people were introducing themselves with pronouns and I did not understand. I had never heard of that. And then I come and in Texas already, high school students introduce themselves with pronouns. And so I think that there's like a lot to say about young people and like their ability to learn and adapt and make better new worlds. But I don't want to leave like the older folks out of this because I think something else that has given me a lot of hope is 
seeing like my own family's ability to change, but even like within our own like IDRA family, the ability of the staff to be so flexible. Like we literally have several staff members who are in their 70s who have been with the organization for 20, 30, 40 years, and they are still ready and able and willing to adapt and change and learn and grow, you know, following and advising the young people too. And so I don't want to leave out like our elders and like folks who are older than us, because like at the same time that they're providing guidance, they are also ready and willing to be molded by young people too, which I think is like the exact right approach. Love it. Altheria, what gives you hope? And especially as you reimagine schools and education and education policymaking, what does that hope look like? Hope for me looks like an ever-expanding circle where we invite people who share our vision and our values to have a seat at the table where we are more inclusive rather than exclusive, that this circle represents like our coalitions, those who are in this, I don't even want to use the word fight because I'm trying not to uh, see this as adversarial. It gives me hope to see the work that the coalitions are committed to doing. And even over nine months, seeing more and more people come into the coalition spaces that we were involved in. And so I guess that's what makes me think this ever-expanding circle of advocates who want the best for Texas children, and especially those children who have historically been underserved and underfunded in so many ways. So to see this ever-expanding circle gives me hope. And uh, one thing about the circle is that it can always be larger. It can always expand and make room for others. So, yeah, that's what I see as a positive to look forward to. My vision for education that is more equitable is kind of aligned with what Thomas said about this utopia in which people govern themselves. I see education needing to be not transformed, but transferred to the hands of the local communities that are affected by, that are responsible for educating kids. So I think education has gotten so big and controlled by so many entities beyond the local community that I see it as needing a transferal back And I say back because I do a little research around Black segregated schools before Brown versus Board, in which those local communities really did come together to create the schools and staff the schools and finance the schools and all that. So I think that's what my vision for education would be, that local communities know best what their students need. They know what kind of curriculum their students need. I think we just have to trust people to make those kind of decisions. And I don't know if I answered your question, Morgan. Is that what you were asking? It's perfect. Okay. It's perfect. So yeah, that's what I see as something that gives me hope and a vision that I would have for education. Thank you. Christina, what about you? What gives you hope, especially as you think about what you want education and education policy making to look like? I have to echo something that Adesele said about our young 
people, our students. So in February, Thomas facilitated on behalf of IDRA, a Texas student advocacy convening, just kind of hosting a space for students to kind of talk about some of the pressing issues they were facing, issues that were impacting their learning, especially as it related to COVID and remote learning through that time. And just being in the space, listening to the students talk about these issues and even offering solutions for these issues, it makes me feel very hopeful for the kind of communities we're going to live in, not 10 years from now when these students are, you know, even more prepared and equipped to engage in this policy making space, which they already are. And they're so thoughtful and introspective about these issues and the way we can go about solving them. And, you know, at some point, they know more than what we could ever know as advocates, because they are the ones being impacted as students. And it's really incredible. And I felt so privileged to be in that space with students as they were really commanding that that conversation. And that's kind of where I see my vision for not just the advocacy space, but the education policy making space at large is just more an increased student voice. Nothing for the students without by the students. And that is something that will always resonate with me, that will always kind of spearhead my approach to advocacy when I'm working with students and in the education policy making space is that these young students, they have such creative solutions that often are overlooked because of their age um, and because their lack of inexperience as it relates to our standards as adults. But truly, they are um, some of the most innovative, wise beings that we were able to work with during the fellowship. Yes, they are so wise. And so are you. Thank you. Thomas, what about you? What gives you hope, especially as you reimagine education and education policy making? I think what gives me hope is all the things in collaboration with everyone has said, this beautiful mix of an intergenerational space where everyone is afforded um, the chance to be able to see education as they would like to. A community schools approach where we're listening to the histories of the community and we're learning, learning about that and leaning into it where we're able to just bring our full selves into everything, whether that be work, professional career, or in schools. It's empathy. It looks like a lot of ways. And so that's how I would like to reimagine schools. I think it's a an emotional intelligence is a super important part of how we do that. And, and thinking about what gives me hope is the legacy. Um, a lot of what Altheria talked about a couple episodes ago, legacy and and thinking about how we're not the first folks to do this work and, and really sitting and grasping with the fact that it's important that we are here. And for the reasons of like they're attempting to strip away our history and, and we understand how important history is. And, and if we're, that history isn't taught, so many stories will go by the wayside. And there's already a lot of the heroes and, and harlequins of these different movements that we see ourselves in and it's really important that we continue to highlight history so that gives me hope books give me hope quotes give me hope and i really really want to heart back on the being able to facilitate that group of students that was the most therapeutic night for me 
in a long time. I had never really talked about or never really said out loud the inequities and things that had gone on with being a student. Of course, just being a college student, it's COVID-19 on the onset, but really seeing how it affected everyone, being able to listen authentically and to have people bring their whole selves into that space was really beautiful. And that's what we have to do. We, we, we have to bring our whole selves in. That's hard. We have to make sure we build spaces that are comfortable where people will feel comfortable to do that. But I think if we continue to do that in our personal lives and professional lives, we do it in schools, we will have a much more equitable future. Love it. Thank you. This is the last question I get to ask all of you. Christina, I think our listeners have heard so much about your experiences and have gotten to know the work that you all are doing. But obviously, you are incredible, talented people outside of the fellowship. So I was hoping that you could just share like what your future looks like as far as you can see it and how what you have learned over the last nine months has really influenced how you think about your future. Going into this fellowship, my future plans looked really different from what they are now, which is scary for someone who tends to have like a five, 10 year plan ready to go. But it's exciting knowing that I will devote my I'll devote my life to this work. I will go back to school in the fall. I will be back at uh, UTSA, which is the university here at San Antonio. And I will be starting my doctoral program in applied demography. So a little different from my background. My background is in psychology and psychological research. So this is a, a little bit different. I'm really excited to kind of dive into population research and help kind of uncover some of the um, trends we see in, in demographics, particularly here in Texas, um, and really help to address some of the systemic inequities that have caused a lot of these patterns for a long time. And, you know, I really see myself staying connected to the policy making space and advocacy space through that kind of informing policy recommendations through my research. And like I mentioned in a previous episode, helping to bridge that gap between academia and policy advocacy. I think that's so important and something that I definitely um, am excited to embark on. And then, of course, uh, as I mentioned before, I love working with students. How can I continue to bring students in this space, especially the space I'm going to continue to to grow in, kind of bridging the research and policy gaps? So I actually, uh, this is news to y'all, I hadn't really shared this with the fellows yet, but For the past month, I've kind of been um, serving as a peer mentor through an online research academy. So basically, this academy helps high school students who are interested in engaging in original research. They pair the student to a mentor who has experience, who has um, formal training in that particular area of interest. And I'm really excited that the first couple of students I've had, I've started talking to them about what equity is, what equity-based research is, why it's important, how you can be a researcher who informs policy. That is what's really exciting to me. And I'm I'm so blessed that that was an opportunity that came about, but because that IDRA paved that way, I would say the fellowship in general has dramatically shifted the trajectory of my, my life, my educational career, my professional career. But yeah, that is kind of where I'm at right now. And we'll kind of see where the wind goes and blows me. But a 10-year plan is is looking a little foggy right now. And that's okay. And that's exciting. So exciting. We're so proud of you. Really, so proud of you. Artisali. 
What are you doing with your life post-fellowship? Uh, what life post-fellowship? I'll be starting off. <laughs> I won't have a life post-fellowship for a few years. No, I'm just kidding. I will be starting law school at the University of Texas at Austin. Hook them horns for all the listeners out there. <laughs> I'm excited. I always thought and wanted to be a longhorn. So it's like coming back home to Texas after doing my undergrad in California. So super excited to remain connected. I think it'll be like an inevitable connection being here in Austin, truly a stone's throw away from the capital. And I already told Morgan and the other fellows that I think now I'm always going to have bill alerts on until forever. <laughs> now that I've known and now that I've learned how to do it, I won't be able to stop. But I'm excited to be able to continue serving the communities I care about. I'm so blessed and honored to been able to do this fellowship under the guidance and mentorship of two amazing lawyers, Morgan and Selena, who have just been such a guiding light for me throughout all of this. And additionally, Morgan was able to write a letter of recommendation on my behalf. So I'll be entering the law school as a equal justice scholar. So it's a scholarship for people, students who are interested in serving the community and low income and racially marginalized communities and is a full tuition scholarship for the law school. So this fellowship and all of the experiences that I've had here with Morgan, the connections I've made have just really been, I think, the best preparation anyone could ask for to go into a career in public service. Fantastic. So excited. <laughs> I just would like to note that several years ago, a bill that I worked on that I first worked on locally, I did in partnership with a lot of people, including the Black Law Students Association at UT Austin. They were very involved in policy work that is possible as a student. And the student leader at the law school who we worked with on that issue is now the general counsel for IDRA. It's a nice full <laughs> circle situation that's entirely possible in law. <laughs> Not one L year. We won't bother you then, but <laughs> so excited for your work. Thomas, what are you doing? Yes, so I have the the honor to be able to stick around with IDRA. Um, I'm really excited about it. I will be the policy communication strategist um, with IDRA, working with the communications team, helping them bridge policy and comms together, um, supporting some of our community engagement work, some of our new virtual networks that will be coming. And I cannot be more excited. It is going to be a really exciting role to be able to step into. One that is, I feel like has been really giving me so much confidence just due to the family and support here at IDRA, which I appreciate so, so much. And as well as I'll be continuing my studies at the University of Houston as a second year graduate student working on a master's thesis on Black student debt and racial capitalism's effect on it. So I will be doing a lot of reading and writing, which is so fun. <laughs> but I cannot be more excited to be able to continue with IDRA and really continue to be a gadfly, um, which is something I had no idea about before and feel every essence of it now. So I'm so, so thankful. We're so grateful for you. So excited to continue to work with you. Altheria, where are you going? What are you doing? How is I am returning, returning to academia 
as an assistant professor of reading and language arts at Howard University in Washington, D.C. I will be leaving Texas in two and a half weeks to start my new uh, phase of my career at Howard and will still be working with education majors, so aspiring teachers, teacher candidates, and this time specifically ones who want to teach English language arts, which is what I taught when I taught public schools. So happy to be returning to the classroom on August 23rd, face-to-face with students again. This fellowship, gosh, has shaped my trajectory and my viewpoint in so many ways. I was always focused on the practice of teaching and not on the policies that influence teaching. And I think I will go into this next phase of my career more focused on the relationship between the two and also focused on helping my students to know how to advocate around the issues that affect them because I've never really done that before. And I've already even talked to Chloe about speaking to my classes about what their responsibilities are as teachers in policy and advocacy work. So yeah, that's my next step. Very much a continuation of the work that I'm doing. And I would love to stay on with IDRA. I've already talked to Paula and Selena a bit about being a consultant with EX South. So there's some possibility there that I will be doing some work with teachers and school districts and principals and all that good stuff. So really excited about what's to come in the next few months. Fantastic. So excited for you. So excited for all of you and so proud of all of you. Thank you for nine months of your lives. It has been life-changing for me personally to know all of you. Thank you for the beautiful and thoughtful comments that you made throughout this podcast. I think it'll be really, really valuable for our listeners who are thinking about their own advocacy work, who are thinking about fellowships, who are just curious about what this was like for you. So, so appreciate everything. If there are no closing thoughts or comments, we can shut number four down. Goodbye. Love you all. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.